0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I am Tom Hayes and this is the video cast episode 69 podcast episode 59 time flies we've got a lot to cover today thanks for joining for those of you who listened in last week you know we were down in Tampa for a swim meet for my daughters which you can see there that's uh Annabelle my six-year-old and Mimi my eight-year-old and my wife uh, so generously taking the photo and uh, we were down there for the swim meet and I turned to my wife I was like this is bananas we're gonna watch this Super Bowl, the greatest game in history with Tom Brady, maybe his last ever, Um, two of the greatest quarterbacks with Mahomes, five minutes away in a hotel room after this swim meet is crazy. So we went to the game. We had an absolute blast. It was so much fun. It was spread out with the way they had it. So it was uh, just a nice time. Mimi wound up beating her club record all-time record the club's been in existence for almost four decades for eight and under 25 butterfly she won the 25 breast at the meet in tampa Uh, and annabelle the little six-year-old is now the fastest six-year-old in the country for 50 freestyle so it was certainly a worthwhile trip uh you know out of uh when life gives you lemons connecticut's still shut down you you make lemonade we flew to florida to get them some times booked while they were still six and eight and uh, turned out to be a great thing mimi is a huge guy fieri fan so we went to six out of the seven Guy Fieri restaurants in Tampa and St. Petersburg. Needless to say, I have been swimming laps like crazy this week to work that off, but it was unbelievable i mean these these places were just great like smoke texas hash they like smoked the chicken it's it, just amazing chip beef uh, grilled octopus she ate grilled octopus uh and then on monday after all that the game and the, the meats and uh all the food we went to bush gardens and we went on this ride called the cheetah hunt which uh, my wife insisted, uh, oh, no, no, this is an easy ride. Don't worry about it. We got on it. (laughs) The poor six-year-old was crying by the end. I was almost crying by the end, (laughs) but it was fun. We got that out of the way, and then we went on the baby roller coasters for the rest of the afternoon and headed back. But uh, that was just a lot of fun. And moving right along, that was before the swim meet in Tampa, Uh, their swimming pool in St. Petersburg is right, their aquatic facility is right on the beach. It was just beautiful. Uh, Again, turning lemons into lemonade and great time. On Tuesday, I was on the Clayman countdown with Liz Clayman uh, the first day back and the uh, EA announced a deal with to buy glue mobile for 2.4 billion cash. I said to Liz, you know, look, it's an all cash deal. Management didn't want to part with their stock despite it trading at 26 times earnings. If management didn't want to part with their stock, I'd probably be less inclined to part with their stock and may want to even hold it. Uh, And uh, $175 billion industry, Glue Mobile's got 14 million monthly mobile players. Uh, EA has 100 million, but Glue grew in Q4 at 25%. EA is only growing that part of their business at 3%. So Glue will help EA with the mobile. EA will help glue with international exposure and distribution. Uh, Both beat on top and bottom line for Q4. And uh, their peers, uh, Take-Two is trading at 35 times earnings with flat earnings growth. They've got uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, Activision Blizzard's trading at 28 times with 16% growth. They've got Call of Duty. And EA's got FIFA, which is the soccer game, trading at 26 times and uh, could grow even more than all of them. Lowest multiple, potentially highest growth. Growth. that's what we like that's what lives liked and then we talked about online betting at the end and a quick teaser so uh, she was asking, are the stay-at-home stocks going to keep going? I've been talking about the rotation for four or five months on her show. It's been happening in spades. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that as uh, as more and more vaccinations. The cases are rolling over. But I just laid it out. You know, DraftKings is an online betting game. They flew in the stay-at-home period last year when everyone had stimulus money and wanted to gamble. Um, or expectations of gambling because the sports were shut down for a lot of the period. But bottom line. it's trading at 25 billion dollars on 800 million dollars of revenue that is gonna take an awfully long time to grow into 30 times sales Uh, Penn National Gaming uh, is is trading through the roof 69 times 2021 earnings Uh, Their growth story is Barstool, but they only own 36% of Barstool. So, uh, you know, that's limited. I I said the uh, uh, clever way to play it would be to buy Fox Corporation. So Fox News and Fox Business had record record ratings in 2020. Uh, They re-signed Suzanne Scott to a multi-year deal. She's the CEO of Fox, Fox Corp. Uh, uh and she'll continue to bring strong programming strong ratings will be back and advertisers are going to be tearing back to throw money at them as businesses reopen and they want to capture the global pent up demand so uh <clears throat> it's trading at 13 and a half times earnings and why is it related to online betting because they have something called Foxbet Uh, which you basically get for free. They've got Tubi, which is an online streaming service that could grow quite a bit for the millennials and for the Gen Zs. And uh, five billion of cash on the balance sheet to do buybacks and to do acquisitions. So rather than pay 69 times earnings on Penn or 30 times sales on DraftKing, why not buy a good quality business that's growing for 13 and a half times and get the online betting for free? And uh, and, and we left it at that. So that's uh, thanks to Liz and Jackie D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on Tuesday. Uh, This was um, uh, Larry Menti. This guy's got so many Emmys, I can't even count, uh, and always love going on with him. He asked me to come on to his show Jersey Matters on New Jersey News Network. I always love to come on because I'm a Jersey boy at heart. I grew up in uh, Park Ridge in Bergen County, New Jersey, so anytime I can do anything (coughs) Jersey-related, I'm happy to do it. And... uh, He wanted to get a good explanation of what happened with GameStop on the way up, on the way down, ramifications going forward, etc. This is really a comprehensive, great interview because Larry always asks the best questions. If you really want to understand it backward and forward, how it happened, why it happened, can it happen again, what should we do to put in guardrails, etc. If you haven't gotten enough of the GameStop saga, this is about uh, 8 or 9 minutes, definitely check that out. Thanks to Larry Menti and his producer for putting me on. And uh, next is uh, uh want to thank Devik Jain and Meta Singh for putting me in their Reuters article on the 9th. I guess that was Tuesday. Uh, we now have a, uh, my quote was we now have a situation where the Democrats do not need Republican approval in order to move ahead with the 1.9 trillion stimulus package. Market was trading up. He was asking why. Uh, also, they asked me the same day. Elon Musk had bought uh, 1.5 billion of of uh, Bitcoin for Tesla's balance sheet. And my quote was, if any lesser mortals had made the decision to put part of their balance sheet in Bitcoin, I don't think it would have been taken seriously. But when the richest man in the world does it, everyone has to take a second look. So that it is what it is. I mean, that's seriously uh, a, a big development for the Bitcoin followers. So, uh, so we'll keep an eye on, on that. And then today, her... Uh, Herbert Lash had me, uh, in his article on Reuters. Thanks to Herbert. Um, oh, and by the way, for the, um, uh, for the Bitcoin comment, I want to thank Subrat, Pat Nayak, Anna Herrera, and David Randall, and Devik Jane again. Uh, Devic and Meta had me in their article as well. Meta Singh, thank you for having me in your article and that article. And then Herbert Lash today. Uh, the point I made was value encyclicals outperform in a rising rate, higher growth environment, which the U.S. economy is on the cusp of entering, said Thomas Hayes. We're underestimating the lagged effect of all the money in the system as more and more vaccinations are delivered and as more of the company reopens. We are continuing this rotation that would be consistent with the new business cycle. And as bond yields goes go up. Value cyclicals will lead. So that's been happening. We've been talking about that for months. It's been happening in spades. And uh, certainly the case today, even when the market was down midday, banks were up, 10-year yields were up, etc. Moving on to our Ask Me Anything question comes in from Ben again. Thank you for your question. Um, two good questions. What's a good entry point on a pullback regarding XOP? That's the ETF for exploration and production. Uh, You know, I've been pounding the table on this since before the election. So, you know, 40 was a great entry point. Now it's at 75. It's up almost 100 percent. You know, this is tough because, you know, over the next three to five years, energy is going to continue to. Uh, go up. Why? Because the new administration policies are taking supply down. OPEC has the cuts till April of next year. Demand is going to rip roar back. So, you know, my my, when you miss things like this, the best thing you can do is buy over time. So, you know, if you bought a little here, if you're lucky, you'll get a pullback to the 50-day, you know, 58 to $60. That would be a gift from God and you should back up the truck. But um, if you don't just, you know, buy, you know, spread it out over 10 buys over the next 10 weeks. Maybe you'll get some at 75, some at 70, some at 71, some at 65, some at 60. You know, and your average will be 68. And, you know, three years out, it'll be at 125 or 150 or or maybe even more. I mean, if you look at this, um, you know, effectively, the proposals that are in place, I mean, you know, just to get back to 2018 levels, never mind the peak in 2014, you know, you're talking about 160 bucks. So what, what are we at 70? So you want to wait for it to go to back to 60? What if it goes up to 100 while you're waiting? I wouldn't get too cute, I would think long term on this, and maybe go under the surface and find some some companies that are high quality that have lagged a bit. Uh, but uh, this trade is working. Uh, the other question he asked, which is a good one. And I'll get to it. Uh, Okay. uh, All right. I'll, I'll get to it right now. As you mentioned last Friday, Apple is a good tell for the direction of the markets. Please explain why. So I went into this a little bit last week. And the point was that there was such a massive degrossing on the GameStop thing and the highly shorted stocks, hedge funds getting squeezed. They all degrossed. They went to cash. Uh, once that happened, then they capitulated, the market ripped right right back up after a 3.7% correction. That's the good news. The bad news is I'm not of the opinion that a de- a degrossing, which was the largest since 2009, over a decade, uh, that quickly gets resolved in 24 hours. And my sense is that there are enough of them that got smashed. And we saw the articles in Barron's about some funds being down 25% in January, that they're going to get redemptions. And when you get redemptions, where do you, where do you create the Liquidity in the most liquid performance. You sell your winners to pay for your losers. And what are the biggest winners is FANG. So uh, over the years, and with Apple being a, amongst the heaviest weights, and it was interesting because uh, Apple traded up huge into earnings. You can see here from 126 to 144, and it's traded down ever since. Perfect earnings, buy the rumor, sell the news, but it just hasn't recovered, even though the market's been strong. And that tells me that... Um, uh, you know, there's some selling going on to meet redemptions and, and it's probably going to continue. So the theme that I want to cover that I talked about with Herbert over at uh, Reuters, and thanks, Herb, for putting me in your article today, is that it's to look for rallies under the surface. So while uh, Fang has been relatively flat since August – and cyclicals have outperformed uh we could see a similar type of situation if these redemptions are happening fang fang is going to be disproportionately hit apple is what i'm keeping my eye on and um and you can still see monsters rallies under the surface like today When the market was weak, banks were very, very strong. Ten-year yield got up to uh, 120 basis points. So uh, keep your eye on Apple. I mean, if Apple makes new highs, then we're just everything's off to the races. But if Apple stays subdued here, this rotation is showing you that it's persisting, and uh, and and I definitely keep keep my eyes on that moving forward. So uh, good points that you brought up. I can see that you're totally uh, on top of everything and paying attention. Uh, ben and and we're we're highly appreciative of that and uh, grateful for your uh, listenership and and uh, viewership moving right along to our October 15th 2020 article I'm an accountant stock market you can find every single article we've ever done on the website under categories you can click on commentary or you can click on sentiment is our weekly article you can also listen to our uh, podcast under video cast weekly recap or under um podcast is the other category. Long story short, October 15, 2020. These were the two key art, uh key charts that I want to cover today. The first one was this um XLE chart, okay? And we were pitching the rotation into energy. Cyclical rotation that began in September and paused in October is set to resume in Q4. Banks and energy will participate and lead. So that was the thesis. I put out this chart of XLE. It was trading at $30.52 that day. Okay, so where is it today? It's at $45, so it's up exactly 50% in the last uh, basically three and a half months. And uh, this gives you a longer term perspective of how much further we have to go to normalize. And now that supply is getting taken offline, that drilling is going to be cut back on federal lands. The pipeline's knocked down. Tens of thousands of jobs are going to be exported from Texas and the Midwest to, to uh, Saudi Arabia and to Iran. And, uh, and within two to three years, mark my words, and everyone thinks this is bananas. But you know what? When I was saying on the podcast a year ago when oil was at 30 and 35 Dollars that we would be at 60, 70, 80 dollars over the next one to three years we're already at 60 and it's been six months so when i'm telling you these new policies are going to cause us to have to import from the middle east and uh, uh, return power to opec where they can then name their price and jam us at 80 and 90 dollars again like we saw just over a decade ago uh, with similar policies that's going to happen and you want to participate but you don't want to participate with the marginal producers that are going to be bankrupt from all the lost jobs you want to participate with the large Largest players that are going to get bigger as the price goes up and all of the um, destroyed competition is going to accrue to them, uh, not only to the Middle East, but to the big U.S. companies like your Exxon's, like your Chevron's, like your Conoco's, etc., that make up the XLE. Just Google XLE top holdings, and you'll find the top ten beneficiaries of the new policy as oil moves continues to move up. Now at 60, uh, over the next you know two to three years, will be at 70, 75, 80, and then when OPEC has firm control, maybe even more. Although they probably learned once they get up to 90 or 100, they destroy the economy and then they lose the customer. So probably you know the 70 to 85 range will be their sweet spot and they will mint money and regain a lot of power that uh, Russia, Iran, and Saudis lost with depressed oil prices when we had a um, uh, strong energy policy Uh, they were weakened geopolitically and we experienced a period of relative geopolitical calm and peace as they regain the profitability, the money, and the power Uh, I think that dynamic will change and they will uh, play a much bigger role on the global geopolitical stage as they did uh, 10 years ago so uh, keep your eyes out for that so the trade's working that's what. That's all we care about on this leave the politics aside, who cares uh, we're on this call to make money Uh, Tom Lee put this out. Energy stock could surge 42% as oil prices extend one year high. So you're going to see a lot more of this. Uh, Opinion follows trend. Tom Lee is usually ahead of the curve on on a lot of this as well. Uh, Certainly was on the general market. I don't know if he was on energy back when we were hammering it, but he's uh, just someone totally worth listening to. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, so he says uh, energy sector has a 42% upside potential as it plays catch up to the ongoing surge in oil prices in his latest note on Tuesday correlation of oil prices and the energy sector suggests that the spider, uh, ETF XLE should trade at 63. So where are we at 45 now up to 63? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I I'm more patient. I see that in one to two years, maybe it comes, you know, but I saw the, the $60 in one to three years, it came in six months. So, um, you know, I'm always happy when it does better than, you know, set expectations low and exceed them has always, always been a formula for success. So, um, Anyway, so... So, you know, there's FOMO, there's uh, obviously all these companies, as we talked about last week, we're going to just start to change. Here's an article, change their narrative so that institutions who missed the first 50% move in the sector can start to reinvest because they're missing their benchmarks as the weight goes up and up for the sector. They're going to have to get exposure. The only way they can get exposure is if they justify it. The only way they can justify it is if these big companies come out with a narrative that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2050 and they're already. They're all doing that. We went through that last week. Five of them put out their carbon neutral plans. Exxon put out their, uh, you know, here's the headline from Jinju Lee's article in the Wall Street Journal. All the cool kids are doing carbon capture. Exxon's the latest in the game. And what's going to happen is they're going to get the ESG stamp because they're on board with being carbon neutral in the next, you know, 30 decades or whatever it is. And then all the institutional money can flow back in to the, to the last men standing. And um, and that will be a great opportunity. And the weighting will move up from two percent to four percent to six percent. And then everyone will have to be involved after they're up 100 percent and maybe get as high as eight percent. It's been double digits historically. I don't know if we'll get back back to that, but uh, something to keep in mind. Next. Um, okay, this was today in Barron's demand for diesel is speeding ahead. What that says about the economic recovery diesel demand has returned to pre-pandemic levels already uh, recovery for gasoline and jet fuel consumption has been less impressive highlighting the challenges ahead to the transportation fuel sector as well as the economy this is core to our back half thesis with defense and aerospace subsector uh, which can be played through an itf like ita or xar or if you want leverage dfen we own that but you have to be very careful there has some leverage embedded leverage it's not appropriate for everyone but uh, defense and aerospace is you know at these levels in my view is the best value per dollar to put new money to work because a lot of this stuff has already moved like ben is asking about xop and xle you know I, you know we were talking about them for the last four months they're up 50 and 100 you know 50 and 75 and some of the stocks in them are up 100 percent since we've been talking about them so you know buying them today is less attractive than buying them then but i'm telling you in my Opinion. Do your own work. I'm not a financial. uh, I only deal with accredited investors and qualified institutions. See terms on hedgefundtips.com right here. But this is uh, my opinion: is that um, defense and aerospace are the greatest value right now, and similar at similar levels. This is the long-term ITA defense and aerospace ETF. Similar levels to where you could have bought energy and banks four or five months ago before they took off. I think that when you look at some of the big names like Northrop Grumman, uh, Raytheon, General Dynamics, uh, Boeing is in there. Playing a second half commercial aviation recovery like Greg Hayes was talking about on the Raytheon earnings call uh, last week is the way to go. So... um Okay, so diesel serves as a strong economic indicator for economic health because it fuels the movement of goods. So looking at those statistics, along with gasoline and jet fuel demand, which represents passenger travel, provides insights into short-term consumer sentiment, says uh, Jenny, Jenny Zander, COO, Strategic Transportation Solution Provider Breakthrough. Diesel prices have returned to levels last seen in early March of last year. Um duh, 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 robust through freight transportation and is ahead of year-ago levels. So U.S. demand has remained robust through freight transportation is ahead of year-ago. So that means goods are moving like crazy. And that is a leading indicator for the rest of the economy. Um Okay. EIA data also show that the average amount of U.S. distillate fuel products supplied over the four-week period through February 5th, which includes diesel as a proxy demand, was up 1.9% from the same period a year ago. That was before the pandemic. You know, the pandemic talk didn't even start till uh, late February, early March. Uh, domestic gasoline demand, however, is down 10%, while jet fuel consumption has declined by 34% year over year. And that's, again, going to lag. More vaccines, that's going to pick back up. Uh, as, vac- uh, as vaccine distribution ramps up, we expect to see an increase in gasoline demand, uh, slow return to more typical travel behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so that's a positive thing and a leading indicator to look at. And it's good to see that already at pre-pandemic. Uh, now, second thing, Holman Jenkins. Apparently, by the way, he lives in Ridgefield, Connecticut. So I'm going to meet him through a friend. Uh, he's an author in... Um, the Wall Street Journal. He put out a great article this week called uh, "EVs Are the Lowest Climate Priority." <clears throat> and the basis of this, and I didn't even know this. No matter how you slice the data, data, the car in your driveway is an emissions asterisk. And what does that mean exactly? Um, if the I, if the EPA is right, the average light vehicle wraps up, racks up 11,500 miles a year and sits idle 96 percent of the time. The World Resources Institute says passenger vehicles account for 7.5% of all emissions, but this includes buses, taxis, etc. Rental cars average 31,000 miles. Other fleet vehicles average 23,000 miles. Heavy trucks average 63,000 miles. And one finding that the appalled fleet operators is that their vehicles spend up to 33% of their time idling. The IEA estimated that if 50% of all new cars were electric, petroleum use would continue to grow because of trucks, aviation, and the petrochemical industry, which, by the way, makes up pretty much everything from football cleats to solvents to cleaning agents to plastic computers to most of the parts of an electric car, uh, etc. So, you know, if you take away oil, the cost of your electric car goes up like 3x, by the way, uh, just for the parts, unless you're going to make it out of metal or tin or something like that. Uh, Trucks and aviation and the petrochemical industry, and we don't have major alternative to oil products there. Uh, Exxon Mobil estimated more recently that if all new cars 100% of new cars were electric by 2025 not 2035 like GE's pointing to 2025 the world's entire fleet were electric by 2040 100% of everything was electric by 2040 liquid fuel demand in 2040 would be the same as as 2013 so if 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 this went perfect 100 percent of every single car was electric the demand would still be at 2013 levels which is by the way which before the peak of energy when prices were really high um, and demand we've had no major investment in the last five years so you know if you had a hundred percent of every car in the entire world electric tomorrow Demand, based on where supply is going to come in over the next couple of years, would still exceed and you'd still have prices going up. And that's not we're not going to have 100 percent of every car electric by 2025 or 2035 or even 2040, probably potentially by 2050. So it just kind of lays the backdrop for for the pessimism on um you know the uh the rumors of my death have been great, greatly exaggerated as far as the oil industry sure the marginal players are toast but the bigger players are going to get bigger than ever uh and um so so this is a really worthwhile article and this is not an anti climate change article he's he's really just making the case that you know focus on the those areas first that that contribute the greatest emissions Put all the money there, and then move on to this stuff later. Later on in the process, okay. Travago earnings offer hints of when and how travel will return. Uh Trivago is a big um, online website that does, you know, it's like Expedia or uh, Priceline, etc. And they're basically tying it to. Um, so w- what they're saying is, vaccines coupled with good weather should make a sound difference. You know, the articles today were we are going to have pretty much anyone who wants a vaccine is going to be able to get one by April. We're going to have a glut of vaccines by the summer, which means and, and the pent up demand with all the stimulus money, with all the savings, we're going to see travel go through the roof and demand for fuel go bananas second half. That's why I love the defense and aerospace based on current levels. I love banks. I love energy. The problem is I own a ton of them at much lower prices. So uh, do I think they're going up from here? Of course. Otherwise, I would have sold them. How However, uh, defense and aerospace, uh, the, this I want to add. You know, this is like still amazing levels. And, and particularly if you dig, on, certainly the ETF, but if you dig under the hood and buy some of these names that are really uh, lethargic, you know, Lockheed Martins, Northrop, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, the big players, you'll look at them and you'll say this like – You know, Wall Street is the only place in the world when it holds a sale, no one shows up. I I can't, I can't re-emphasize that enough. I feel like I'm telling the exact same story that I was pitching about, you know, Wells Fargo when it was in the low 20s, Exxon Mobil, uh, and these things have just ripped. So, uh, so that's the greatest value per dollar, in my view, right now for new money. So. Um, okay, Travago's outlook for the recovery bodes well on online travels agencies, performance post-first quarter in our view. Uh, you know, booking holdings is another, etc. And they basically tied it to like those periods before we had the spikes, like when, when the cases went down and it looked like we were getting vaccines, their travel business ripped up, and the same thing is gonna happen, and it's gonna be probably sooner than they think. It'll probably be by the end of Q1, everyone will start booking because. Cases are falling off a cliff because again, as I've been saying the last three weeks, when you take down one side of the equation, it, you know, you've got 30 million people now that have basically had it. You got 30 million people now that have been vaccinated. So you got 60 million people. So now there's only, you know. 270 or two you know and then there's a ton of people that have antibodies that don't even know it so you probably have like 250 million or call it 230 million hosts whereas you know a few months ago you had 330 million hosts in the united states so so it's just going to continue to to uh collapse like gamestop it's it looks the chart looks exactly the same as gamestop so uh so that's good news and then um these guys, HFIR, I've mentioned them before. They do articles on Seeking Alpha. They're really good on energy and natural gas. They're always bullish, but they they, they, uh, they they had a great article about natural gas storage draws ahead and what that means going forward. They estimate that the next two EIA natural gas storage reports are going to drop by uh, 575 BCF and we'll finish the withdrawal season at 1.4 TCF uh the deficits uh, so effectively what they're saying is that the futures curve is dramatically underpriced for um for the deficits and the draws that are going to happen in natural gas in the coming weeks and their view is that um you, you should see 3 330 to 350 uh coming down the pike and the forward curve is looking at 260 so it's it's dramatically mispriced as you look out a year as you look out 2 years and these guys have been spot on with their storage and their thesis is to, uh, own the natural gas producers. They own EQT and Antero. Uh, but there's, you know, there's a basket. We've talked about them in recent weeks. We've owned uh, range resources and a couple, but you know, uh, this is all in line, you know, to Ben's question. That's, you know, there's some in the, uh, exploration and production, the whole complex energy, natural gas, is, is going up over the next three to five years. Yes, it's already up 50, and some names are up 75 and 100% from when we started talking about them. But, uh, you know, on pullbacks, you know, find those names that are still values because uh, – uh, and uh, um, uh Marco Kovacevic, uh, Adam Morgan Stanley, he's a great quant guy. I'm, I'm slandering his name here, unfortunately, but – you know who he is he's on CNBC from time to time uh he says we've just entered the fifth commodity super cycle i've been talking about that since the summer on CNBC Indonesia uh that we're entering a commodity super cycle and you know now it's upon us and it's and based on some of the policies it's going to be exacerbated and um so you got to be in it to win it uh you know it's coming take advantage and then opinion follows trend. Occidental Petroleum, left for dead like a redheaded stepchild, uh, was added to B of A's U.S. number one list. Price target raised to thirty one dollars. You couldn't give this thing away at ten dollars. Now everyone wants it at twenty two, and they say it's worth so it'll be up two hundred percent. There's you know there are long dated warrants you can get on this. Uh, anyway, it's just. Uh, it's exciting to see these things play out. That's all I can say and participate. So I think the next next great move, uh, in addition to banks and energy, over the next couple of years is is defense and aerospace. From these levels is is exciting from my my standpoint. Okay, Tom Lee pinpoints uh, second article by Tom Lee this week. He's prolific today. Uh, single most important indicator singling strong economic growth, and that is what we've been talking about for six months, which is the steepening yield curve uh in it instead tom lee says investors should turn their focus to the steepening yield curve which suggests that strong economic growth and subsequent stock subsequent stock strength is imminent and that is that so um let's take a look at it from when we put it out this was like the first time we had put it out when financials had crashed we said Okay, we had the inversion already. It's starting to steepen. We want to get exposure. Well, look what's happened. It's the steepest level it's been since 2011 now, the 210 spread, if you look at it as of this week. Wow, this thing is rocket. And look what happened to financials right after that boom you know double or triple over the next few years from 2011 to 2018 so now you get a second bite at the apple we're off to the races very exciting for banks pulling up oh the second most important chart that i put out in that october 15th article if you remember was not just the xop the uh xle chart at Thirty dollars and fifty-two cents, which is now at forty-five. Second most important one was the Wells Fargo. Um, here, the long-term chart. It was trading at twenty-three dollars and twenty-five cents. I said, guys, look, you know, this is taking a while. It was consolidating like crazy. We we're adding all through here. You know, it, just bananas. Our total basis this is the biggest position in all of our portfolios uh, at twenty-five ten basis. And uh, I said, look. I don't use this indicator much, but 14 out of the last 15 times it's crossed. It's been bullish. That was at $23.25. And now you can see today it absolutely worked. And now we're at $33.53, so up about, give or take, 50% um, after that cross. And look where we are in the long-term context. We're just getting started i mean this thing like i said over the next three to five years could be 60 could be 70 could be could be an 80 dollar stock with the amount of growth and demand for millennials etc uh new housing formation cni business recovery small business starting all they're just perfectly positioned and then they'll get that asset cap lifted <clears throat> and that will be another catalyst so this this is very exciting to see play out as well um okay so we got that uh next is um this is the xlf etf now starting to break out if you look here the last two times it broke out uh it was 2012 it broke out after a long sideways consolidation and then it just persisted for another you know went from 10 97 to 1857, so it went up 80% over the next uh, two to three years, and then it went sideways for a couple of years, and then uh, right after the election, it broke out, and then it just rallied from 18 to 28, so another 50-plus percent over the next year and a half, and now it looks like we're just breaking out again. So if we get a similar type move over the next couple of years... Uh, the XLF could be at, um, you know, could be at 45, could be at 50, which means some of these major names like JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America could be up a lot further than 50%, which, which would be exciting to see. This is the defense and aerospace ETF, just kind of showing you long-term context. You know, it's not even close to breaking out. And, you know, last two times it did from 30 to 58. So it went up hundred percent on the breakout from 2012 to 2015, then it broke out again in 2016, and it went from 60 to 120, so again, about 100%. We're not even close to the breakout, so if we broke out from 118, it's now at, at 97, the ITA ETF, you know, maybe that goes to 200 over the next five years. I mean, there is just huge opportunity here as commercial aviation recovers. I mean, you know, again, Wall Street's the only place when they hold a, a a clearance sale, no one no one shows up to the sale, uh, but that's the opportunity, and that's why you're listening. So hopefully, I'm pointing some of this stuff out, and uh, and we'll see if it works as well as the uh, energy and banks have so far. Moving right along, uh, worst stocks are doing the best. Miles Udlin, uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, high short interest stocks have outperformed low short interest stocks since uh, since. Um, Uh, the announcement of the vaccine. So it's something to keep an eye on. And the reason is because there's some speculation, obviously, and there's some froth, obviously. And I got to be honest, when I'm looking at the stocks on a daily basis and I go through basically every large cap stock every single day just to to get a feel for the market, what I'm seeing is what's oversold and ready to bounce uh, are utilities, staples, and healthcare and uh, pharmaceutical and drugs, which tells me what is... What, what's trading down is defensive, not defensive. Defensive groups, uh, utilities, staples, uh, and healthcare. And if they bounce, it means that, that the general market is probably, you know, uh, uh, you know, at that point, going to take a breather, which means either sideways grind um, or rotation. So you can see utilities. This is bullish percent. Uh, this is really subdued. It's at 35% of utilities are, are really down. Um, actually, this should have. There we go. Okay, so that's the utilities chart behind the uh, bullish percent. Usually you bounce from these type of levels. And if utilities are bouncing, those high risk Speculative stocks are probably gonna take a little breather. Same thing with staples are very defensive. You can see that they've been subdued here since the beginning of the year because risk has been on. If they bounce from these levels, which they have a tendency to do so, that means the market's going sideways or breathing. Same thing with healthcare, And I'm seeing a lot of the big pharma companies want to, you know, are oversold and want to bounce here. So just something to keep an eye on that that that, that those start to bounce and, and the, there might be some risk. The theme this year, I think, is going to be rallies under the surface, which we've talked a lot about in recent podcasts. This was an interesting article in the Financial Times today by Marin Somerset Webb. Is the party over to, for top tech stocks? Look, you know, that's not something you ever want to call, uh, you know, I, 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 I've been calling for relative outperformance from the cyclicals, not zero sum. Um, but she makes a really compelling argument. And what she says is that, you know, she makes all the arguments that Fang is 24% of the index, yada, yada. We've, we've heard all that. Um, she, this, this paragraph here, investors, also haven't exactly been complaining obviously that they've done well however now might be the time to take stock if you're a global investor do you want to be 60% in the U.S. and 15% in six tech companies one way to answer this might be to look at what happened to the top dogs of the past decades the closest comparison is probably 1970 when according to data from Schroeder's the top five stocks in terms of market capitalization were IBM, AT&T, General Motors, Eastman Kodak and Exxon, they made up 24% of the S&P 500 index. By 1980, four were hanging on. Kodak had been replaced by Am- Amico, but the top the new top 5 were only 17% of the index. By 1990, the top 5 were just 13% of the index with only IBM and AT&T still present. By 2010, their share was the share was down to 11%, and all of the original five were, were long gone. But then, big tech really took off, and now the top five came to dominate the market. Today, they account for 22% of the index and have provided pretty much all the outperformance of the last few years past few years, take them out of the numbers and both emerging markets and Japan outperformed the U.S. last year. So could the 2020s really be the decade of no disruption, the one when the top dogs are so brilliant beyond that they stay the top dogs? That seems unlikely. Look at the valuations. We've all got Rather used to the idea that driven by its brilliant tech, tech stocks, the U.S. market trades at a premium and that having been the, worst, perf- the world's best performing market for eight of the past 10 years, it somehow deserves to keep winning. And we're seeing indications of that already. If you look at emerging markets, which we've been pounding the table on for six months, small caps uh, and XUS. Uh, They are trading at a discount, so she says the gap in valuations between the U.S. and the rest of the world is now higher than it's ever been. Uh, The current cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio for the U.S. I hate the the CAPE ratio, but I'll I'll read it anyway. Uh, U.S. is 35 times against 21 times for Europe and 14 times for the U.K., for example. There's a lot of opportunity embedded in, in U.K. By the way, there was an article in Barron's this week. For it to fall to historical norms, says Schroeder's Duncan Lamont, could mean the U.S. underperforming by 5% a year for a decade. That said, valuations clearly tell you little about what's going to happen in the markets in the short term. What might – okay, so what might trigger – what – might make a difference and trigger a change in sentiment vaccinations are the obvious factor as the world emerges from its various lockdowns and economic activity stocks in cyclical companies will benefit okay she's singing from the same hymnal they aren't hugely hugely represented in the u.s they make up about 35 percent of the market against more than 55 percent in the uk and japan so um The return of physical freedom in the West will therefore help non-U.S. markets a lot more than tech-heavy U.S. markets. But it's also going to help. So it's a factor issue, not not a geographic issue. It just happens to be the case that we're underweight cyclicals in our indices relative to... UK and Japan, because these are all multinational companies of these market caps, whether they're based in Japan, UK, US. So they just have a higher weighting to cyclicals because they don't have tech dominators uh, like we do. Uh, So that factor is what she's saying. So if you own the cyclicals in the US, you're still going to get that benefit because they're going to gain weight in the index while the uh, overweight big big names fang are going to lose uh, waiting over time is the case that she's making, which we agree with. And um, and, and these groups will, will relatively outperform. So the lifting of the political fog in the U.S. might do the same, blah, blah, blah. And that's that. And then she talks about taxing, uh, um, you know, all the headwinds for uh, the big tech companies that could slow them down. Uh, One thing we have surely been reminded of in the pandemic is that when push comes to shove, it's the states that are sovereign. Who would have thought a year ago that modern democratic democratic countries could and would hold their citizens, not just within their borders, but inside their homes? That's power. And if they can do this with impunity, what's a windfall tax on the beneficiaries of the pandemic or regulation that bashes social media? Note the confidence with which Australia has taken on Google, which by the way, you know, has forced them to pay now media publishers. Now Google's saying they might pull out of Australia altogether with its demand that tech giants start paying local news outlets for linking to their stories. A key point in all this is that there's no such thing as passive investing. Invest in a global ETF and you've made the active decision to tie your financial future to the US and hence to big tech. That might be fine, maybe if that's what you want. But if you don't stop to think about the asset allocation inside what you think is a passive strategy. You may find you enter 2030 not as happy a hodler as you might like. This is a brilliant article. I've never read her stuff. Marin Somerset Webb over at the Financial Times. This is really awesome analysis. Check it out. The title is, Is the Party Over for Top Tech Stocks? (laughs) So, again, keep your eye on Apple for a multitude of reasons answering Ben's question. Uh, Here's Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, senator from Democrat from Minnesota. Uh, She's heading the antitrust push. And uh, here's an op-ed from Jan Reibnasek at CNBC. Recent antitrust proposals could throw a sand in the gears of the economic recovery by stalling M&A. So the first part Klobuchar is saying is that we have to have more power so they can't do these acquisitions to gain share and push people out, uh, which she's got getting steam behind her on. And the second thing is, here's from Fast Company, Amy Klobuchar, breaking up Facebook has to be on the table. So, you know, the guns are out. We know this. There are cases all over the country federal and state level against most of the fangs that's not going to stop moving right along uh inhalable remdesivir at contacts or early onset could generate large growth for remdesivir that's gilead's drug that's uh you know injectable now but i've been talking about inhalables coming still in early stages of investigation so but that's a positive note cvs and walgreens are now started today uh, getting vaccines for distribution. So that's going to crank up the uh, the uh, distribution of that. And then to our article of the week, which is the Bob Dylan knocking on heaven's door, stock market and sentiment results. It certainly feels that way. There are pockets of froth and euphoria. There's no question about that. But there's also great opportunity under the, uh, you got to look under the hood for the opportunity. And we recapped what we said on January 21st. And last week, which was basically the market can correct in time or price grind sideways. We got a 3.7% pullback, uh, you know, whether we get more is is unknown, but the opportunity is gonna be to use any weakness that does come our way, hopefully, if, if you're a, a longer term investment, you're praying that we get some weakness here, uh, to add to value and cyclical names that are gonna outperform over the next few years. Um, and, but don't wait for a, a perfect crash because, you know, we've got now $10 trillion of fiscal and monetary policy to solve a $750 billion problem. So basically half of a year's of GDP thrown at, including the $1.9 trillion that's coming, by the way, um, we lost 3.5% of GDP last year, which is about $750 billion. And we got $10 trillion. And the reason that asset prices aren't even more inflated than they've already started to inflate Is because we're just getting the vaccinations out wait till everyone goes back to their normal this is going to be a bonanza you know i was talking in june if you remember about 5 to 6% gdp everyone was laughing at me i remember someone tweeted yeah i'll make a i'll make a note of that and now people are calling for 6 and 7% and we're not even like a uh, you know a tenth of the way into the vaccinations with people getting back on. I mean the plane was full on the way down and way back. I mean that's anecdotal, but uh, people are fine with it. They put their mask on. They 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 go about their lives. Um, okay, so uh, while there are clear pockets of so I said last week while there are clear pockets of froth and exuberance, it is not the case for the entire market as a whole. We will dissect the risk and opportunities below. So I covered uh, the Liz Clayman countdown. I covered uh, that. You know what do Mick Mulvaney, Colin Kaepernick, and Paul Ryan have in common? They're raising spacs. In any normal market, when raising money, the simple question anyone asks is, "Show me your track record." If you're raising money for a fund, you're sending your your performance. If you're raising money for a business, you show how you did for your investors in the past. And in today's market, it's become oh yeah, I've heard of him or her, I'm in. Uh, That's kind of what we're seeing in the SPAC market and that's never a good sign. Uh, Many SPACs won't get a deal done and even worse, the incentives are to get a deal done or they have to give the money back. So you're gonna see a lot of crappy deals at super high prices jammed into these just to get a deal and they'll collapse. Uh, that's coming. So just, you know, keep an eye out over the next year, uh, and only go with high quality operators that have a track record that could be tremendously successful SPACs. Uh, no question about it, but the vast majority are are not going to be anything to write home about. Uh, so how do we know when there's, whether there's a bubble or not? I think it's similar to, uh, the quote I had in January 26 when, uh, when in Reuters, when GameStop was was ripping, I said, "Will it end badly? Sure. We just don't know when." I think the same is true with certain IPOs trading at 30 and 40 times sales, uh, certain PACs, spacs and certain penny stock pumps that we're seeing right now. But we just don't know when. In the meantime, uh, while stock correlation tends to drop before correction, which is which is what we were using it for to point out in last. Uh, what, two weeks ago, before it dropped 3.7 percent, it's also a time when stock pickers outperform. So when everything's moving in the same correlation, that's when uh, passive index indexers outperform. Um, and when the correlations drop, that's when you can make a fortune. You know, the 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 billionaires who made money in the market. Buying weakness and selling strength, and that will always work over time. There's been an aberration, you know, in the past 10 years. That will that will get worked away. There've been other times where there's been aberrations, but you know, the Gabellis, the uh, the Coopermans, the Buffets, uh, the icons. They made a fortune in the 70s when the market went nowhere because there were monster rallies under the surface. And that's the same type of environment. When correlations are low, you can make a fortune regardless of what the indices do. And that's what's happening right now. So um, don't worry about are we going to get a 5% pullback or a 3% pullback or a 7%. Who cares? Uh, the bottom line is there 's a there 's a mountain a tidal wave of liquidity you 're not going to get that much of a a, a, a a correction but under the surface, you can get big meaningful corrections like we 're seeing in defense and aerospace right now where there 's huge buying opportunities with, we saw in banks and energy uh, four or five six months ago. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll probably be seeing in utilities at some point, you know, they get so cheap and staples get so cheap that you wanna start in some healthcare that you wanna to start to pick those up. And that's the beauty when the correlations are running low. The last time that it dropped like this, it was a similar situation, um, it right after the election in two thousand and sixteen, you had a drop just like this, and that's started a year and a half rally where you never saw more than a three to four percent pullback all year and you saw you know about four or five of those, so you had a huge crash in early two thousand and sixteen in the S&P 500, just as we had a huge crash in early 2020. Then you had the election at the end of the year, just like we had. You had huge weakness into the election, huge weakness into the election. And then you basically went straight up for the next uh, 14 or 15 months, and you had about four or five mini pullbacks of three to 4%, but nothing more. It just grinded highway uh, sideways. And the old saying and cl- uh, cliche, never short a dull market, uh, is holding true so far right now. Um, uh, so that so that's something to keep in mind. Ryan Dietrich was on CNBC this morning around 6 a.m. And he said, you know, statistically, since 19... I, I love these cute statistics. I mean, you know, you don't bet the ranch on them, but they're good to hear. Anyway, if the market's up 4% by Valentine's, the market's up 90% of the time for the rest of the year. And the average from being up from Valentine's Day forward is another 13%. So... You know, it could be exactly like 2017. It never is exactly the same. It it rhymes, but a lot of the conditions are similar. In the case of uh, 2017, what was the market anticipating? That it went up and up and up and up. It was anticipating um the tax cuts that came in early 2018 and then when you got it it was sell the news and the market sold off what are they anticipating now they're anticipating a return to normalcy and everyone being vaccinated and getting to herd immunity and cases go back down to zero and that's probably uh, a back half of the year thing when commercial aviation takes off and uh you know and then you'll probably get a real correction sometime early next year or maybe late this year who knows But uh, it's following a very, very similar roadmap, and it's worth noting. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed to follow, but it does mean pay attention. The other thing that's eerily uh, similar is the VIX. Uh, So you had that first crash early in the year, huge pop in the VIX. And then at the election, you had another pop in the VIX. And then it just trended down all of 2017. Well, it's following the exact same pattern, huge pop for the crash uh, earlier in, uh, uh 2020 huge pop in the VIX for for the election and then it's just trunning you just get these little pops up but it trends down over time and the market trends up with nothing more than a three to four percent pullback every few weeks uh scares people this is the big one this is the big one and it keeps grinding higher never short a dull market so something to keep in mind but under the surface there will be huge crashes of different sectors that you can buy on the cheap and there'll be huge rallies even if the general indices are going sideways and by the way for the general indices to go Sideways, you need the big weights to be somewhat subdued, and that 's why my eye is on Apple. If Apple stays si- flat to sideways to down, then uh, the general indices uh, are are going to be more subdued, and those cyclicals can really start to rip as more and more people get vaccinated. So the other point that i 'm making here is um, With with regard to rallies under the surface, when you hear talk that we're in a bubble, walk through these stocks and below, and ask yourself: Are these stocks in a bubble? And you know, there's a lot of cyclicals in here. You know, range resources. There's a um, natural gas producer. Uh, Sure, it's up 100% off the bottom, plus, but it's still got huge upside. I mean, this was an $80 stock uh, in the last commodity cycle, $80, $90 stock. So they're just Immense opportunities here. Occidental, uh, you know, look, it's up 100% over hundred, 150% in the last couple of months, but it's still down, you know, 75 plus percent. There are great opportunities. Yes, there's dilution, but as the cash flows come in, they'll buy that stock back. I mean, it's just the same thing every cycle. So, um uh, you know, EOG. Okay, so a lot of here's PCG, a utility. You know, huge guys have positions. I think uh, Third Point has a huge position in this. Um, Seth Klarman, Bow Post. This thing came out of bankruptcy. It's trading at $12 a share, it's down from $70. So, um, you know, there are great uh, Fox a, which I talked about Fox corporation, you get a great, a growing network with Tubi streaming. You get the online betting for free. It's trading at 13 and a half times. It's well run, you know, all the noise and nonsense around the election is behind it. Advertisers are going to come back. These are great opportunities, in in my view. These are opinions. Kinder Morgan, I mean, Rich Kinder has been buying his stock at higher levels for the last five years. The guy's not an idiot, and, and this thing is going to be back up before we know it. Um, you know, Con Edison is another utility that's down quite a bit. Uh, more energy, you know, Exxon huge run here. Um, you know, up 75, 80 percent, but it's still down. You know, it, it's got huge recovery potential. Enterprise, enterprise transfer there was a monster options position uh unusual options position city you know it looks like it's it's had this huge run it's not even it's got so much to go the defense stocks um L3 Harris technologies general dynamics these things are still huge lockheed martin um another utility here uh, american airlines i mean they you know look not all of these are going to be great businesses they're down for a reason we know that teva you know they all have their reasons they all have their hairs boeing but if you do your homework and you have a basket of them one or two don't work the others double and triple over the next few years that's how you build wealth it's 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 that simple so um so that's that moving on Uh, I I put together like 30 or 40 of the indicators we look at on a regular basis. Most of them are near the top end of their range, meaning, you know, market's getting a little. uh, The the risk reward is less favorable than when they're on the other side of the spectrum is what I should say. But if you pull sector by sector, again, rallies under the surface, there's opportunity. For those of you on the podcast, we're going to get cut off in two minutes. Just go to hedgefundtips.com. Uh, Click on the video cast it's a YouTube video you can just fast forward to minute 60 it's word for word the same thing and watch the last five or ten minutes so you don't miss anything important. Um, Okay now if we do get a pullback where where would we be looking we'd be looking you know mind the gaps okay so there are a couple gaps that we've taken in the last few weeks after we had the huge degrossing and then people had to play catch up to to uh, panic back into the market which by the way the National Association of Active Investment Managers in my article, which I write on Wednesday night, was at 79%. That jumped to, uh, I think, 100 and 110%. So they, they all chased back in in a major way over the last few days, uh, and now they are... At an extreme, as well as the retail people with the the bulls percent, so they're back up to 110 percent equity exposure. The uh, active investment managers. So if we get a pullback in the next few weeks, you know, some targets. Again, these are going to be. I think they're going to be subdued. Like we'll get multiple three to four percent pullbacks throughout the year. Um, you know, here at 38, uh, whatever it is, 75. There's a gap that could be filled at 37.80 if you get. A